In the book of Ruth is where we are. We're in chapter number four. And um, I've been giving you this, believe it or not, this one dialogue of a message for several attempts now. And um, obviously I will not recap, but I'll just give you the, the, the point that when we was back in Ruth chapter number three, beginning verses nine through 18, we see the proposal of redemption, Ruth wanting to be redeemed. And as, pre- as Preacher pointed out a couple of weeks, week, uh, weeks ago, we're not Calvinist. Uh, so uh, the Lord does speak to people's heart. But uh, you're going to have to uh, call upon the name of the Lord. You're going to have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ yourself. And uh, I like what Dr. B.R. Lakin, that old wise preacher from West Virginia, said. Uh, he said... Here, here was his take on the doctrine of election and predestination. He said, "The devil voted; uh, God voted for me, and the devil voted against me. Tied the election. Isn't that simple? And therefore, the cast and balance has to be a sinner to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. So that kind of that kind of destroys all of it in one shot, doesn't it? Nothing like some of those old country preachers to clear things up. Amen." But uh, we saw the, the proposal she wanted uh, to be married to Boaz. And then we've been looking at the problems of the redemption. You said there's problems, can be. And so we went through some of the, the problem of the requirements. The last time I was here uh, speaking on this, and we talked about how it was required to, to be a near kinsman redeemer. You had to be a relative you had to have the resources, and you had to have the resolve. You had to be willing uh, to purchase, and and that was a problem there. And it's not a problem for the Lord Jesus Christ, as Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's kind of hard for me not to say this again, but I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ was able uh, to bring eternal redemption to this world and provide it to us. And he was a near kinsman redeemer because the book of Luke traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam showing how he's the son of man. And um, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And so uh, we have, mankind does have a, a near kinsman redeemer and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he does have the resources. Uh, Brother Earl Hughes said he's got plenty, and that is so true. Uh, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills and, and every potato in the ground. B.R. Lakin once again said, as long as that's true, I'll have, I'll have meat and potatoes on my plate every night. And so he's got plenty of resources. He who is rich became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. You, you let me keep rambling, rambling up here a little bit, I might just preach. And then he said, uh, and then, and then he had to be willing. Uh, he had to have a resolve. The Redeemer, not only did Ruth want to be married, but uh, the person has to be willing to marry her. He not only has to be a near kinsman in that family, he doesn't all, all, uh, always have to, have to be the, have the resources, but he also had to have the resolve. He has to be willing. I'm glad our Savior was willing. 
He wasn't made. He wasn't forced. Even though we see him in the garden of Gethsemane, he just touching base with the Father once again that everything's on the right track. He's not trying to get out of redemption. He's not saying uh, he did pray, Lord, if it's you know uh, possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't think the Lord's trying to skirt around what the Father's will wanted to be. I don't think he was trying to back down from anything. He was just, you know, before going uh, to that great place called the hill of Golgotha, not just physically die for our sins, and not just emotionally, but spiritually suffer the wrath of the Father on that cross. And that's, uh, but he was willing to do all of that. He was willing to bear in his body. The, the the mark of the cross and the and the, the crown of thorns and the beating and the whipping, but also as preacher read uh, a couple services ago, sometime Isaiah fifty three that his soul became an offering. So it wasn't just a, the broken body; it was the it was the broken soul of Christ that became the atonement for our sin. And so, but still, there's some. Um, there's, uh, we're still looking at the problems of redemption, and we looked at the, prob- the problem of the requirement, but we got a little bit of problem of the relative. Because as Boaz clearly states in chapter 4, there's, a more, there's another redeemer. There's another person that's in line that's closest to Elimelech's family, Naomi's deceased husband and, and, um, and, and, and Ruth's deceased husband. And, uh, and so, uh, so there's someone that's between, uh, Boaz and Ruth from making this marriage take place. And so the Bible says in verse one, then went up Boaz to the gate and sat down there and behold the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto whom he said, and I think it's strange that the Bible on purposely doesn't mention this man's name. Boaz said, Ho, such a one. Turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sit down. If you and I were in public and somebody just shouted out, Ho, would you come over here and sit down? I'd probably keep on walking. But that shows you the authority. That shows you the character. That shows you the... the um, the authority of this man. You know, I've known some men in my lifetime that's, that's, uh, that can just walk into a room, didn't matter how large or how big or how many people was in that room, he just immediately took over the atmosphere. And that's, I believe that's, that's the picture I get of Boaz when he, he's a mighty man of valor, he's a man of wealth, he's a man of means. And I believe if we, if Boaz were to walk into the room tonight, I think he would not have to say a word, but his the way he presents himself, carries himself. Like the Lord Jesus Christ as one that spoke with authority. And I, I believe he would be a man that would just take over the atmosphere immediately. And he no doubt he had that. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit, sit you down here. And they sat down. Verse 3, And he said unto the kinsman Naomi that is come again out of the country of Moab, Selling a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. So he's talking to this dear kinsman that's, uh, that's near kin uh, to 
uh, Naomi and to Ruth than, than Boaz is. And he begins to tell her about the country of Moab, tell him about the country of Moab, south parts of the land, which was our brother Elimelech. So we're part of this, sir, and I just want to make you aware of this. Verse 4, and I thought to advertise thee, he's just speaking to him, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people that thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it besides thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also with the Ruth of Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 7, now this was the manner in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Now back in chapter 3, we went over that in Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25 of what all that signified and what all that meant, and we'll not go through that again. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe, and Boaz said unto the elders and all the people, Your witnesses this day that I have bought all the Elimelechs and all that was Chilions and Milions of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the wife of Malion, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up in the name of the dead unto his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place you are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come unto thine hand like Rachel and, and like Leah, which to build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephraim, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of all of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Father, Lord, I pray you'd bless your word tonight. Help me to give to others as you have given to me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So now there's a problem, uh, not just in the requirements, but now there's a little problem with this near kinsman relative. And there's no doubt this man has the, the resources. No doubt this man is a near kinsman. He's a, he's a relative. But as we clearly see in the text, he gave up his right. He, get, he was not willing to make the proposal. He was not willing to purchase. And that's what the Bible says that, that uh, Boaz did, that he purchased not just the land, but he purchased Ruth. But she wanted to be purchased. And so, uh, but this man wasn't willing to do that. And so therefore, there had to be an Israel uh, ceremony. There had to be the elders present. There was a witnessing. There was a testimony. It's almost like a contract kind of thing, getting everybody together. And it's almost like the notary public is there, of course. And this man is plucking off his shoe. He's giving it to Boaz. And all that is signifying I'm giving up my legal right. I'm giving up everything about this. And he's going to step aside. And Boaz has let him know, if you, you know, you stepping aside, I'm next in line. And there had to be some kind of 
uh, sink in his heart at the end of verse 4. He tells this man, you know, if you're going to redeem it, redeem it. And, uh, and then this man says, I will redeem it. That moment of time, I'm sure that Boaz's heart collapsed. Because as we know, they've been in this courtship. They've been in this sweetness. They've been in this getting to know each other in, in, in that field. And his heart is no doubt went out to Ruth. And her hearts went out to him so much. But he's trying to do things accordingly and he's trying to do things right. And so when this man said, I'll redeem it, I'm sure there was a, a, a swallow of, of, uh, in his throat. I'm sure his heart was broken. There was a moment of pale, you know, I, you know, cause he, you know, sometimes, uh, when you're doing the right thing and you may not want to do the right thing, but you say, well, I'm going to do the right thing and it may cost you something. And then when you do the right thing and it costs you something, you walk away going, well, I probably shouldn't have done it that way, but I did the right thing. Well, that's what you get for doing the right thing. And you should do the right thing. And I'm sure that's kind of the way he was feeling at that moment. Man, I should have just, but he said, I'm just trying to do right. And so there's no doubt a few few little things about uh, Boaz here. He went up to the gate in verse number 1. And uh, Deuteronomy 21, 19, and 20 talks about taking your rebellious children to the elders at the gate. Of course, if it's proven, they will be stoned. That's Old Testament economy. And um, and so all through the scriptures of the Old Testament, you do have the judges. You do have important people at the gate. You know, Lot was just not a flunky in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was a man of no doubt of prominence and and had some influence because we see Lot also at the gate. And so the judges was at the gate. Elders was at the gate. Business went down at the gate. You know, it reminds me of a place uh, not far from St. Lucia. It's part of the Grenadine Islands. It's called Beckway. And that's a small island. Very few got, I mean, it's real small. I mean, you could walk through town in about five minutes and uh, has about 10,000 people on this island. And uh, Brother Nye, a, 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 a missionary, a veteran missionary, went there. We took a ferry boat and we went there and we spent a, a few days there preaching and, and helping a dear brother. But they had this uh, tree in the middle of the of the square. Now, I'm, you know, don't think square like downtown Athens. It's nothing like that. It's just a little road. And right in the middle where everybody shopped was this huge tree. I mean, I mean, it would take several men to put their arms together to get around this tree. And so, but they did all their business. If you had a murmur, if you had a complaint against government or against whatever, and you, ha- you wanted to challenge, and if you want to stake your claim about an issue in town, uh, you, you went to the officials and you said, I want to meet the elders. I want to meet the, 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 the mayor or, or whatnot. I want to meet the officials by the tree. And that was a big thing. And people would come. People wouldn't go to work that day. They wanted to see what this man or group had to say. And, uh, and that's sort of like what's going on right here. So he's going down to the gate. He knows where to go to. He knows that the elders, that the judges have to be involved. The fact that he's at the gate shows what kind of man he is. And so you say, what kind of man is he? No doubt Boaz is an honorable man. You know, we looked in Proverbs chapter 31, just turn there real quick. And of course, Pastor and, and I did some 
uh, teaching through the book of Proverbs chapter thirty chapter thirty one. But when you see the virtuous woman, and, and Ruth is a virtuous woman. Boaz calls her a virtuous woman in chapter three. But also, there's no doubt he's a virtuous man. He's an honorable man as well. And because you look at uh, Proverbs chapter thirty one, and it talks about the virtuous woman's husband, verse twenty three. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. So when Boaz walked up to the gate, the elders that were there immediately gave him respect. The judges that was there, oh, here comes the landowner, here comes Boaz. Immediately he was given choice. And I tell you, we need to live our Christian life in such a way not where we get favoritism everywhere we go, but people understand our testimony and people understand that we're, you know, we're doing right for the Lord. And, uh, and of course, I know in this secular world, an ungodly world, uh, you know, they don't respect uh, the Christians or Christianity the way they used to in this country. But uh, it would be good if we uh, learn how to live so there is some honor among our own lives. And I'll say it again to our ones that are not married, our young men, our young ladies. Hey, if you want the best, you're going to have to be the best. Well, that's, I see that more and more as I, as I see people getting married. I see young people getting married. And I see that more and more just, just watching. And I see young men that, that want the best lady. I'm talking about they want the best Christian girl. They want the one that prays and reads their Bible and comes to church faithfully. Amen? But hey, young men, you're going to have to be that kind of character as well. You know, if you want an honorable lady, you need to be an honorable man. And, and young ladies, if you're going to be an, if you, if you want to, the honorable man, then God wants you to be the honorable or the virtuous woman as well. You know, I want, a, I want a husband that would lead God and direct and love me and know me as the Bible says and honor me. But yes, but those kind of men are looking for ladies that are matching what, he's, what he has become. You know, that's, um, I mean, usually ungodly people marry ungodly people. Carnal people marry carnal people. But if you want a spiritual mate, you're going to have to be a spiritual mate for that individual that's looking for a spiritual mate. And uh, anyway, there's no doubt, no, there's no, no, no doubt Boaz is a man of honor. He's, he's there at the gate. He catches this man in verse 1. Hold such a one. Turn aside. Sit here and turn aside and sit down. So there is a, an authority there. I don't think he's been rough. I don't think he's been rude. Um, you know, Boaz is well known. But he's stating his business. He's getting right to the point. He's not trying to beat around the bush. Also, Boaz has, has been an honest man here. I've said this before. He did not have to do what he's doing. He probably could have just pushed that man aside. He probably had the means to do so and the influence to do so. But he knew the scriptures. He knew the law of Moses well enough to know Hey, before I take this next step, because I really want to marry Ruth, but I know down in my heart, she may not even known it. But I know down in my heart that there's another man that's next in line for this privilege, and he must be consulted. And once again, Boaz is not trying any type of finagling, shifting, 
or dishonest. And he's not trying to manipulate a situation where everything just goes in his favor. And once again, when you're courting, when you're dating, call it whatever you want. Young men, young ladies, listen. You got to be totally genuine. You got to be totally transparent. You got to be totally honest. And you just don't let the girl hear what you think she needs to hear. And you don't let that guy, you don't just don't speak and answer questions to hear what you think the answer should be because a relationship of any kind needs to be built on uh, transparency and honesty and not manipulation. And that goes for your workplace. That goes for the relationship that we have with our pastor and that the pastor has with you and uh, in every area of our life. I'm thinking of a, of a couple right now. You don't know this couple. You've never met to this couple. But I'm thinking of a couple right now that got married years ago. Still married today. She was like Heather. My Heather. You know, my Heather, since she was a young lady, she wanted to get married, be a homemaker. Just like on that seven brothers, seven bride thing, just clean and cook for one man. That's what she said. Dad, I just want to get married and, and take care of one man. Well, praise the Lord, Joshua didn't have seven brothers or six brothers hanging out in the bushes somewhere. You know, that she had to do all that for, like that movie portrays. But anyway, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the world today looks down on that, but that isn't a very honorable thing. Amen. And so uh, it's not a degrading thing. And so uh, she she wanted to get married and and raise a family. And of course, you know, that's yet to be seen. But I'm thinking of a couple right now where lady was just like Heather, wanted to get married. And she started courting this young man. And she said, you know, I want to get married in a couple years. I want to have children, start having children, start laying out. I want to have several children. This lady, you understand, this lady loved children. She loved teaching Sunday school class. She loved it. And he said, yes, yes, yes. Answered all the questions. Everything looked great. Everything looked beautiful. And after two years into the marriage, she said, hey, we've been married two years. Things are doing well. I want to have children. And he looked at her and says, we are not having children. You know what that relationship, and they're married today, been married a long time. But I'm telling you, she walks with a broken heart. She walks with the sadness. If you meet her and talk to her, it's not long until it comes out. She befriends everybody else's children. She befriends a lot of children. But that lady wanted children of her own. And he told her what he wanted her to hear. And she believed it. And that relationship was built on a manipulation situation. And he got what he wanted. He's getting what he wanted in that relationship. But you know, he, he turned that around. And I know that's sad. That's tragedy. That's selfish. Yeah. Now, don't let me take a tangent around here because I, I, I can. But you'll never convince me God meant for a man to marry a woman so they can just enjoy one another's company. I understand that some ladies cannot bear children. I get that. It is God that opens and closes the womb. I understand that. Low children are an inheritance of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. 
But it should be never our intent to get married just to get self-gratification out of it with never having an intention of being fruitful and multiply. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. You know, I, man, I, I, I'll never get through the book of Ruth. But I tell, you what, I tell you what I'm tired of seeing. I'm tired of seeing people get married. Instead of had children, they got dogs. And they, and they say, well, you know, we got our babies, and their babies got four legs, hair, hair, hairy bottoms. Are we okay? And I'm going to tell you where they put their mouth. Oh, this is our babies. I've got a dog at the house. He's a Jack Russell. But I don't call him, are you listening? I don't call him my baby. I take him to the vet as least as I can. And I walk in and they say, oh, Mr. Mike, you got your baby? I said, he's not my baby. He's my D-O-G, dog. Well, they don't like that. Oh, he's, and they put, and they put in, and they put it down on the paper, Milo Gibson. I said, don't you give that dog my last name. <laughs> they said, well, that's your, I said, no, he's not. He's a pet. We tell it what to do. We can, hey man. But anyway, we, we, we put a cord around his neck and lead him around. That's what we do. Uh, they call it a leash. You say, that's horrible. I'll tell you what's horrible, that we worship the creature more than the creator. And you know, we're just not going to have any children to try to train up and live right for the Lord. We're just going to have dogs and cats. Yeah, God didn't design the human race that way. Well, let me just go on. Let me see how much time I've got left. Can I do that? All right, we're doing all right. So Boaz was a man. He was honorable. He was an honest man. He's knowing the scriptures. He's taking all this before the man and letting him know at the end of verse 3 that we are brothers. We are heirs to Elimelech and Naomi and the country that they came out of the country of Moab and settled a parcel of land. So there's land involved. And I really believe without Going too much into this, I believe he wasn't just an honorable and honest man, but I believe Boaz was a, judging from Proverbs 31, I really believe he was a holy man. To be such a picture in the type of the Lord Jesus Christ, rescuing Ruth the way he does in this book, and her being, uh, him being the kinsman redeemer, her being a type of the church, I believe he was a holy man. I believe he had a walk with God, I believe he was a praying man, I believe he taught, I believe he was led by the Lord, and um, and the Lord used that Old Testament to give us some New Testament truth. But anyway, this relative wanted the land. Are you listening? But he didn't want the lady. And here comes some of the problem. So if you look at verse number four, uh, verse number five, verse four teaches, Boaz said, okay, I made you aware of what's going on. If you're going to redeem it, redeem it. He said, I'll redeem it. Now, I've told you Boaz hasn't done any manipulation or any skirting around, but I'm going to tell you something. He dropped something right here, but he's been truthful and he's been honest. And then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? So he told him about the parcel of land. He told him about the field that he's going to have access to. And he said, hot diggity dog, I'll take care of that. I'll redeem it. I'll buy that land from Elimelech's. 
widow, Naomi. And he said, Oh, by the way, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess. Now, I look at this, he could have just said Ruth. He could have just said Ruth, hard-working lady. I've observed her from afar. She's nice-looking. She's hard-working lady. She's a virtuous woman. And she's been out there working in my field. But he just, I don't, I don't believe he's been conniving or mischief or anything. But I do think he may have just put a, a, sw- a swung the pendulum a little bit in his favor when he said, Oh, by the way, uh, it's Ruth the Moabitess. The wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon, upon the, his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mourn my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. And then the manner of the time of Israel concerning the plucking off of the shoe, he takes care of that right there before the elders and turns over his responsibility and gives it to Boaz. Now, now listen to this. He wanted the land. But he didn't want the lady. You say, what's that got to do with anything? Well, you know, land, you know, you can do a lot with land. You can can plow the land. You can bring a harvest out of the land. You can take care of the land. You can make money off the land. You can resell it and make some more money. Or you don't have to do anything with the land. You can just let it sit there and let it grow up and not do anything with it. But it's always your land until you die. Right? And you pass it off to somebody else. But you know, having the lady is a little bit different than the land. You're not just going to let the lady sit there. You're definitely not going to buy and sell and try to make merchandise off of her. So he wanted the land, but when he heard there was a Ruth Moabite lady, all of a sudden he backed out of the deal. Now it could have been when he heard the word Moab and, and she's a Moabite woman that was married to Elimelech's son. Maybe he thought, good night, she's from this heathen land. I mean, the, the, I mean they, they're, they're evil, they're lustful people as the Bible says. Nothing good has ever come out of God's wash pot, which is Moab. And he didn't want to have anything to do. Uh, there's, I really believe he probably didn't want to have anything to do with her and that location based on her former connection. And also, taking care of the lady... It's a lot more responsibility in taking care of the land. You know, we live in such a crazy world. People don't want to have their responsibility, whether it's husband or whether it's wife. But I'm going to tell you, if you get married and you have a wife, men, I said men have wives that are women. Male marries female. Anyway, it's hard not to get in all that and preach against all that. But anyway, um, there's a responsibility as a husband. That book says that we're to love our wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I was in a church one time and I pulled out a dry erase board and I opened my message up like this and I said, I want everybody in the church to tell me uh, how, how you know Christ loves you. And we spent 15, 20 minutes filling up a dry erase board, a huge dry erase board, and we put things on there how we, how, I, how we know Christ loves us. And it was, I mean, it was, we filled the dry erase board. And we, I mean, we, when I say filled it, we filled it. 
And then I stepped back and read one verse, Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And I said, Men, that's the way we're, to love, we're supposed to love our wives. They were ready to come to the altar and so was I. The Lord takes care of us. The Lord provides for us. The Lord listens to us. Amen. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do with our wives. We're to love them. We're to dwell with them according to knowledge is what the book says. Unless your prayers need be not hindered, we're to honor her as the weaker vessel. Isn't that what the Bible says? You're to provide for her. You're to take care of her. You're to be the spiritual leader in the home, men. Right? Don't let, the, don't let that woman get them babies ready on Sunday morning while you're still in bed. Getting your extra hours, sleeping all the way to 9.30 while she's doing everything else and getting everybody ready and you finally get up. Am I okay? I'm meddling now. And then you throw your, your duds on and walk out the door. She's got a diaper bag in one hand, got a purse in another, and God knows that's heavy. <laughs> Trying to get everybody out the door and then whatever you call a vehicle. Amen. And you come trail along with your Bible in your arm. Well, I'm the man of the house. You're pretty pathetic. You're lazy. Amen. Hey, hey, we need to have men that will lead in a spiritual way. We need to have men say, hey, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. It's Sunday morning. Let's all get up. Let's take showers if you need it. Amen. Let's get ready for the house of God. About every Saturday night. I'm not trying to discredit my wife. I mean, she would do this if I didn't. About every Saturday night that we've been married, I, I stand on the Saturday night somewhere around 8 o'clock sometime. I'd say, listen, everybody needs to get everything done tonight. Y- y'all need to iron your clothes. Y- y- amen. You need to wash behind the ears. You need to get your shoes ready. Your shoes shine. Your tie- get it ready. And I said, because when y'all get up in the morning, I want everybody getting ready. Get their church clothes on. And we're going to the house of God. Well, amen. I'm just talking about this man wanted the land, but he didn't want the wife. Because it's a lot more responsibility. And I'll tell you something, it's not just for a month. It's not just for a year. It's for a decade. Not just for a decade. It's for many decades. My dad is 81 years old. There's something about that generation. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. If there's ever a set of parents that should have divorced a long time ago, it's my parents. I mean, they've been thin, thick and thin, blood and mud. I'm not joking you. I mean, I've seen, I, I can, I, I'm not going to stand up here and tell things that I've seen, but I'm telling you, I've seen moments where I thought my mother should have just walked out. We went to her and said, Mom, leave. And she said, no, that's all right. Two o'clock in the morning, she takes revenge. I'm not joking you. I mean, that's the way it was. I mean, it was fighting, fussing, and loving. I, I don't I know what you call it. But there was something about it, about that generation, between 70 and 80. If you're 70 to 85 years old, I'm going to put you in that category. You say, what is it about that generation? I don't know. My mom and dad met in three months they were married. And they've been married 59 years. And you go there today, there's no fighting, there's no fussing, one can't hear good, one can't see properly, and they're glad they're together. One reminds to take each other's pills, they hold each other up and they laugh and giggle, and they've been doing that for a long time. 
I mean, you know what I'm talking about? This, the, back there in the 60s, people saw each other for two or three days and got married and stayed married for the rest of their life. I wish I could come down there. <laughs> this is fragile. But you know what they're doing now? They're shacking up like shepherd dogs outside the bonds of holy matrimony, will not commit to anything, stay like that about 10 years, finally sign a a marriage certificate, and then they stay married about six months and divorce. I can't explain all that, but I know one thing, that older generation, you know, when they stood before the judge or they stood before the preacher... My mom and dad went to the courthouse with their parents at young ages and got married. And when they said death do they part, that meant true. Yeah. Even if they would have to kill each other or die as old people, somebody was going to die before they sever that marriage. Whatever happened to that kind of commitment? Whatever happened to, yeah, you got trouble. I know I got troubles, but we chose each other. We're married each other, and we're going to go to the end of the line with this thing. Amen. I mean, listen, guys, you wasn't the prize when you was 20 years old. You divorce that woman now, you're still not the prize. You get there, these 50-year-old, I'm 50, I'm 51. These 50-year-old people that's been married a long time want to get a divorce, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You 50 years, listen, you 50 years old and older and you've been married all these years to the same person and you want out, what are you going to do? You ain't got time to get remarried and train somebody else. I'm talking about husband and, I'm talking about husband and wife there. You ain't got no time to break somebody else in. Well, amen. I need to slow this Jimmy down. Brother King, you know what a Jimmy is, don't you? Amen. But anyway, he wanted the land, but not the lady, not the responsibility. I'm going to close with this because this was supposed, I was supposed to get way down there with these other points. And then I was supposed to bring something else. And then I was going to wrap it up and try to do this. But we ain't doing that. But I want to show you something right here that the Lord spoke to my heart on. And the kinsman said in verse 6, just give me five more country minutes. I cannot redeem it for myself lest I mar my own inheritance. He said, I'm not going to take that, Ruth. I'm not going to take that Moabite lady because it's going to mar my own inheritance. He thought of himself. He thought of his own head and his own stuff and his own future. And it was all about him. And once again, marriage is not all about one-sided issue. It's about the other person. But he said, I don't want to take care of the lady. I definitely don't want to raise up seed with her, have children with her. I'm just not wanting to do all that. One thing you can say about this man that we don't know who he is, he was honest. He wasn't trying to be something he was not. He put it right out there and he said, I don't want to do this because I'm afraid it's going to squeeze me. It's going to 
maybe endanger my own inheritance. Maybe it's going to be a double financial burden. I don't know what his deal was, but his deal was this. I'm going to mar my own inheritance. I don't want the bad rap for this. Can I tell you what the word mar means in the old 1828 dictionary? To injure, to hurt, to impair the strength or purity thereof. And here is the next definition of the word mar. To disform or disfigure. He said to Boaz, I don't want to injure. I don't want to hurt what I've got going on. I don't want to impair my strength or the purity of my property or the purity of my inheritance that I have. And I certainly don't want to disform it and I don't want to disfigure it. Can I show? And of course, we know Boaz said, I'll do it. We know Boaz said, Okay, thank you for the shoe ritual. But before the elders and before the witnesses, I will purchase the land. I will purchase this lady and become her husband and be the best thing ever happened to her and she'll be the best thing that's ever happened to him. And we'll raise up children together and we'll have a family and we'll have a generation that pleases God. He was willing to be marred Can I show you this? You already know where I'm going, but look at Isaiah 52. Isaiah 53 actually begins in Isaiah 52 verse 13. The context of the servant of Isaiah, which is a picture of Christ, the suffering servant, which is Isaiah 53, is a total picture of Christ on the cross. And look at Isaiah 53 verse 13. He said, Behold, my servant shall do deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. This is an Old Testament picture of our Savior Jesus. And as many were astounded at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man. And his form more the sons of men. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will be injured for that Gentile. I will go into death. I will suffer. I will let my inheritance be marred. I'll take some impurity. I'll take he who will uh, and die for their sin. I'll become deformed. I'll become disfigured so I could purchase that Gentile. And when you see that in, in Psalm 22, oh my goodness, when you see Psalm 22 verse 13, and here's the picture of Christ on the cross, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a Raving and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a posture. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 17 of Psalm 22. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. We're told when there's a crucifixion.
That hole is about 22 to 20, maybe 30 inches deep. As they lift up the person that's been crucified and they hoist it up and and, and they drop it, they angle it, and they drop it down in there, the beating and the bruising and all of that. Listen, it, it is documented that their rib cages collapse and actually pierce through some of their skin. And when our Lord was upon the cross, though, though not one bone in His body was ever broken, He's marred, He's disfigured. He, he's looking on the bones, possibly His ribs are coming out of His chest. And he says, my bones look at me and stare at me. And I'm so glad that he died for my sin. He took my shame. He took my sorrow. He took it all and bore it on a tree. Not just physically, not just emotionally, not just... But but I'm talking about spiritually. He suffered at the wrath of Almighty God because he became sin for me who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So when the devil stood there in Matthew 4 and said, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth, he said, no. I'm willing to mar my inheritance. I am willing to be disformed and disfigured and be injured for mankind. Boy, what a Redeemer. What a Savior. And I'm glad He was so willing. I'm I'm sorry that He went through all of that. Sad is my heart. We'll see Him in heaven and we'll just be broken. But we'll be thankful. We'll be thankful.